Looking for a way to make quick cash? Making cash with DoorDash is super easy, guys. I love driving around my town, and now I can do that and get paid. Not to mention the sign-up process was so easy. Download the DoorDash driver app today to get started. Xavier University is tackling Ohio's nursing shortage by giving individuals with non-nursing bachelor's degrees an opportunity to accelerate into the profession. Whether you studied accounting, biology, marketing, or anything in between, our ABSN program can prepare you for nursing practice in as few as 16 months. So if nursing is your calling, now's the time to answer it. Enroll for one of three terms at our locations in Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Columbus. Search Xavier ABSN to apply. We love you guys. Thank you so much for the privilege of having us back. And thank you, uh, Pastor Mitchell and uh, Tina. God bless you guys. We're honored to be here. We really are. I got to bring my better half with me this time, Lynn. So uh, my wife, Lynn, and uh, she's just an amazing, uh, on fire, preacher of the word of God herself. And uh, so we're blessed to be able to be here. Um, I just want to share some thoughts with you. And basically, one of the things that I was asked recently you know what what is god saying to the church in this season what is god trying to communicate to us and get through to us as his people well personally i don't feel that it's really anything new i believe the message never changes the message of the gospel and i believe that the great commission is something that we must always embrace as his people But there has been an opportunity in this new season, especially for those who really have not been affected by, uh, you know, don't have the freedom that you guys have here. And, you know, they've had shutdowns and churches not operating. All the churches in Canada are shut down, by the way. All of them. You cannot meet, period. So, by the way, where we live in Vancouver, Canada, the restaurants and bars are open, but churches are shut down. True story. Okay. I don't know what it is, but that virus doesn't seem to spread among the pagans and the heathens. But the church people, I don't know what it is. You know, super spreaders, I guess. But <laughs> it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. It's ludicrous when you think about it. Like, what, what is that? So, anyway, I really believe the message of the gospel never changes. And um, that's, that's something that the scripture is very clear about. Do not add to, nor do we take away from the word of God. But I do believe we're living in a season when God is recalibrating and resetting the church. He's trying to bring us back to the foundations uh, that we read about in the New Testament. We know that according to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3, Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's also the chief cornerstone. And that everything that was measured in order to be true and plumb was measured from the cornerstone. So, but the Bible also says that the apostles and prophets are the foundation. You know, it says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And then there's this word in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where Paul says that God set in the church, first of all, apostles, secondarily prophets, and thirdly, teachers, and so on. So the interesting thing is he talks about a foundation that is apostolic and prophetic. And I think a lot of people have, uh, unfortunately, not taught that properly. I really believe there are two extremes. You know, there are those who who don't believe in apostles and prophets. For some reason, they believe that there's pastors and there's teachers and there's evangelists in the church. But God, I don't know why, he just got rid of the apostles and the prophets. And I don't believe you can can justify that scripturally. Uh, Why would he do that? You know, when, when the goal of Bible ministry is to build up the body of Christ and equip the saints... So he didn't need the apostles and prophets to do that. And then the other extreme, of course, is we have people that believe that the apostles and prophets are like some super elite, um, you know, special forces type of of group of, of leaders in the church. And that's not true either. Ultimately, when we read the purpose of fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4.11, that God, God has said in the church what? He gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, right, for the work of the ministry. There's no comma in there. And the building up or the edification of the body of Christ. And it talks about what that looks like until we come into the fullness of the stature of of Christ Jesus himself. So what happened is we see here that the purpose for the fivefold ministry is to 
the one translation says equip the saints. It's a very interesting word. It's kartartizo in the Greek language, and it has several meanings. One of the meanings is to repair something that is broken, and it's used in Matthew 4 of a fishing net that was torn and how it was being repaired by uh, James and John as they sat on the seashore. But it can also be used to furnish, to equip, um, and it can even be used to bring together in unity. So like a diffusion of a bone that was broken, for example. These are all what it means to equip. In Luke 6, 40, Jesus said this, the student is not above his teacher, but when the student is fully trained, because he becomes like the teacher, same word, same word that is translated equipped or prepared or perfected in Ephesians 4, verse 12. So the idea is this, that God has called the fivefold ministry to equip the saints, the people of God, to do the work of ministry. All right? So sometimes we hear this. We hear, it was so good to see, how Pastor Mitchell, how you, you know, you've empowered people in your church to serve on the, in the worship team, what I saw this morning. And that's the, that's the goal, really, of fivefold ministry, is to equip and empower you. Because you have a calling... You have a purpose. You have a role. And Paul uses the analogy. He said, we are a body. Jesus is a head. And as individuals, we are members. We're a part of the body. We are a piece of the anatomy, so to speak. And each piece of the anatomy is vital. Vital. So it's not like, hey, you know, we have the, we have the rock star pastors, which is like, y'all are here to serve me. You know, you're, you're my roadies. And, and uh, here's my rider, and, and, you know, make sure I get a black towel, not a white towel, when in, with my monogrammed, you know, uh, true story, okay? So, so what happens is, is, is kind of like you're here to, to empower and to make sure the preacher is able to do his job. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. That's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament says it's not the rock star pastor model. It's more like the pastor is a coach. The pastor is a coach who's, who's training and equipping others to be able to get out there and to win the game, so to speak, as, as members on the same team, knowing that, you know, even other churches are not our, comp our competition. Satan is our competitor. We're all on the same team. So I saw that, you know, I wish I was like that. I wish I, I could sing like she sings or I could preach like he preaches but you have a role. You have something to contribute to the body of Christ that is very, very important. If you don't know what that is yet, trust me, as you continue to journey with God, he will reveal it to you if you really want to know. I want to just look at Luke chapter 10 for a moment this morning. I'm going to read Luke chapter 10, the first two verses. Luke chapter 10, the first two verses. This is... Speaking of Jesus, it says, and these things, I'm sorry, let me start, this is important. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, that's powerful. I want you to notice right away what he says here. It says, after these things. Now, obviously you go back, you read the previous chapter. The previous chapter, the first thing we see in verse 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 9 is this, that he called his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Then drop down to verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, this is so amazing because what is happening here is Jesus calls the twelve. Now, remember... There were many people following Jesus. Many people, thousands upon thousands of people were following him. But the Gospels say that one night, Luke says, 
that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer up on a mountain. He came down from that mountain and he chose 12 and he designated them apostles. Now, listen to that. He designated them apostles. If you read Mark's account, it actually says that they would be set apart so that they would have access to Jesus in, in a greater way than other people would. It says this in Mark 3, that they might be with him, and then listen to this, and that he might send them out to preach, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. Now, do you think anything's changed? Do we still need people that need to be with Jesus, right? Okay, do we still need to see people sent out to preach, heal the sick, and cast out demons? You still think that's a valid ministry today? All right, six people do. That's awesome. I'm praying for the rest of you guys. All right, so this is very, very important that we understand this, but listen to me. It was never the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ to just have a, an elite class of apostles that would do all the ministry. It was never his intention. Because I want you to see something. All of a sudden, just literally after this, after he calls these 12 to himself and he sends them out, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Now, they were sent out, 35 teams of two. Now listen, he calls 70. In the New Testament, in the scriptures, numbers are significant. The number 12 represents Israel. The number 7 or 70 represents the nations of the world, meaning the Gentiles. Do you remember the story when Jesus fed the thousands? He fed 5,000, right? And there were 12 baskets left over. Then he fed 4,000, and guess how many baskets were left over? Seven. Twelve represents Israel. Seven represents the entire world, the Gentiles. Interesting, when you study it in its original language, even the word in the Greek that is used for basket when he fed the 5,000 was speaking of a basket that was unique to the Jews. So Jesus has a calling upon the a calling for to reach the whole world with the gospel right paul said i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation for everyone who believes to the jew first and then the gentiles the jew first so the jews heard the gospel jesus sends out 12 and he tells them don't you go anywhere else but to the lost sheep of israel just preach to Israel. But then later on, we start reading about these 70s that are being sent out, and they are not told just to go to the lost sheep of Israel. In fact, the Gospel of Luke portrays Jesus as the Son of Man, but it also highlights God's love for all people, not just for the Jews. He highlights how much God loves women. <laughs> Right? Gentiles. Right? Sinners. You know, so he shows that God is not just a God of the Jews. God is not just a God of Israel, but he is a God of all people everywhere in every generation. So he sends out 70 others, two by two, into every face and place where he himself was about to go. But listen to this. Obviously, he, he ministered in Israel. But then he says this, the harvest truly is great, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, I want to highlight three words in our text here quickly. And then I'm going to share with you what your assignment is as a member in God's army, so to speak. And can we use that analogy that we are all part of God's army, right? Listen, you know, when we, when we stand before the Lord one day, you know, ultimately, God's not going to call us as pastors. He's not going to say to you, you know, how many people did you have in your church? How much money did you bring in? How big was your building? See, these are the metrics that many preachers use today to measure success. Oh, yeah, well, how many are you running, brother? You know, you go to the conferences and you hear this stuff. I'm like, y'all need to repent. I'm sorry. 
Because in the upper room, Jesus had 120. You wouldn't invite him into your VIP room. Listen, I've been to the conferences. I've been in the conferences where there's 30,000, 40,000 people gathered in a stadium, and there's a VIP room for the pastors who are successful, which basically means you need to have at least two, 3,000 people in your church to get a pass to go into the VIP room. Good Lord Jesus. What does that mean? We measure success by how many people we have. I'm going to show you today that clearly in the New Testament, that was never the way Jesus said we are to measure our effectiveness in ministry. It is not the way. So let's look at the, at the three words first of all. It says, and after these things, the Lord appointed, the Lord appointed 70 others. That is a powerful, powerful word. What it actually speaks of, it's, it literally means, listen to this, the word in, in the Greek language means this, to proclaim as elected to office, to announce as appointed. For example, a king, a general, to lift up anything on high and exhibit it for all to behold. That's what the word means. So he says he appointed, okay, he appointed 70 others. He said, you are elected to office. You are appointed as a king, as a general. You are called and exhibited to be seen by others, right? Remember Jesus? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He was putting him on display. He was saying, look at him. Look at Jesus. Put your eyes upon him. And so there's a sense in which God is saying that we have been called to be put on exhibit so that the world may not see us, may not see you and me, but they might see Christ in us because we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives, meaning we are to represent him. Just as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We should be able to say, if you see us as the people of God, you see Jesus. So what happens is he appoints them. The word speaks of calling, of commissioning. Secondly, it says he appoints them to send them out. Okay, now I want to look at this one. To send them out is what it says. Now, when it's that word that is used there is the Greek word, apostelos we get our english word apostle or apostolic from it the word apostle literally means to be sent out that's it it's a really simple term and it means sent out like properly on a mission whether it's literally or figuratively so the idea is he's saying i've called you i've commissioned you and now I'm apostelloing you. I'm sending you out on a mission. That's the idea. Now listen to this. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about the 12. We're talking about a, a number of people that represents not the quote-unquote religious leadership of the day, even in Jesus' circle, but actually the people of God as a whole. And, and we'll see this when we look at the next word. So then he says this, that he says this. He said, I want you to go out. And he says, he sent them out two by two before his face in every city and place where he went. But then guess what Jesus says? He says to them, the harvest is truly great or plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he uses send out again. But this time he uses a different word. He does not use the word apostelos. He uses the Greek word ekbalo. Ekbalo is a very interesting term. It means to cast out, to drive out, to send out, to compel someone to depart, to bid someone to depart in stern language. In other words, get going, get out of here. That's what it means. Interestingly, the same Greek word ekbalo is used by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 11, 14 and 15 when he says to cast out demons. It's ekbalo, to ekbalo demons. One translation, the message says 
wherever you go, kick out demons. <laughs> Ekbalo, kick out demons. Are you ready? Paul was thrown into prison. He was ekbaloed into prison, Acts 16, 37. Stephen is cast out of the city and stoned, Acts 7, 58. When Jesus went into the temple and drove out the money changers with a whip of cords, it's the word ekbalo. So the word ekbalo, it could never be used to speak of a gentle send-out. It's not like a gentle thing. Would you please, come on, come on, just please. That's not what it means. <laughs> it, not at all. It, it, it's a word that speaks of force and being compelled. Now, what am I saying? Listen. Jesus says, I'm calling my people to mission. I'm calling my people to mission. How many will say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Right? The 12 did and 70 did. And they went out authorized. And they went out healing and and delivering and preaching the kingdom of God. But then Jesus says to them, it's not enough. We need more people. The harvest is great. The workers are few. We need more people. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would push, would kick out more. How many know sometimes we need a push from God? How many know that some of us, we are so comfortable that we need to be forced out of our comfort zone to be able to do the will of God? Right? So God looks at us and he says, some of you, I'm drying up your brook. I'm causing even relationships to go a different direction because I have a plan and a purpose for your life to move you in a new direction that's part of my will and part of my calling to cooperate and participate in my mission. And so it's part of God's process of ekbaloing us and pushing us out. Have you ever had that happen to you? It's like, what? Why did that relationship go sideways? Come on now. Like... And God's saying because man's rejection is God's redirection. <laughs> but listen, David, he's, he's like, he's with the king, right? And, and all of a sudden, like, he's successful. He's going to go to war against Saul. And, and then the generals in the king's army come to him and say, look it, we can't have David go to war with us, King Achish. And he's like, David's loyal. David's faithful. And he said, no, no, David might betray you. He might turn on you in the battle to win the favor of King Saul. And so what happens is David is literally ekbaloed out of the king's army, the king of the Philistines. He's, uh, he's kicked out. Why? Because God said, I have a purpose and I have a plan and I am moving you in the direction I want you to go. God sent Elijah to the brook, but then after a while, the brook dried up. So what do you do when the brook runs dry and the birds don't fly? you got to say bye-bye because God is ekbaloing you. He's moving you in a new direction. Some of you have been experiencing that. There's certain things that have dried up in your life. There are things, resources have dried up. Things have dried up because God says, I've got a new direction for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a calling for you. Will you let go and let God? Sometimes what we think is the resistance of the enemy, the enemy is like, oh, you know, the enemy's trying to stop me and we're persevering and trying to go in a certain direction. And we're like, the devil is, is giving me a hard time. I rebuke you, Satan. And we're rebuking. And then it's not the devil, it's God. What we think is Satan's resistance is God's insistence that we let go and we go in the new direction that he has called us to. Maybe God has a different plan for your life than you do. Just think about that. The God who created you, the one who said, you are my child, you are my son, my daughter, I love you, and I know the plans that I have for you. 
And I know my thoughts concerning you. I know what is best for you. I know what is best. And I have a purpose and I have a plan for you. And I want you to cooperate with me. But will you let go? Will you say, yes, Lord, whatever it is, I will go in that direction. If you do it easily, he just sends you out. He apostellos you. But if you hold on and you won't let go, then God might have to ekbalo you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says this. And you, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you know I've actually been to uh, what they call the uttermost part of the earth? It's in New Zealand, in the south tip of New Zealand. It's the uttermost part of the earth. When you look at Jerusalem, and there's nowhere as far away. Jerusalem is in the center of the earth geographically. Ezekiel 5.5 actually says that. And then you look at it, it's the uttermost part of the earth. God cares for people everywhere. He wants everyone to hear the gospel. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness to all the nations throughout the world, and then the end will come. And then the end will come when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the nations of the earth. You know, the United Nations says there's X amount of nations. I think it's 175 because they don't count Taiwan. You know, the Olympics say there's like 220. El Todos Hablamos McDonald's Dio. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar y la tía Carmen te dice, McNugget, mijo, y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita, ¿sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. But that's not the word that is used in the New Testament to describe nations. In the New Testament is pontata ethne, which means this. Ethne means ethnic. Ethnographic, ethnic. It speaks of different languages, yes. It speaks not just of a nation like the United States, but it's saying all the different ethnic groups. We have different ethnic groups in this place, right? So you go to some places in the world and you go to a nation like, for example, Pakistan, which is a Muslim nation by and large, and there are several hundred different ethnic groups. If you go to India, there are several hundred different ethnic groups, speak different languages, they're basically different tribes. Africa is the same way, Indonesia, many places in the world. So. If you count that way, which is the biblical way, the New Testament way, there are over 17,000 different ethnic groups in the world right now. 17,000. Of those 17,000, 6,900 are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. Unreached people groups. An unreached people group, missiologists designate that by less than 2% of the population professes to be Christian, less than 2%. Now, that if you count that, the vast majority are in what they call the 1040 window, Northern Africa and Asia and Southeast Asia and so on. And you know what? If you count by population how many people live are among that 6,900 different ethnic groups, it's over 3 billion people. There are over 7.8 billion people in the world right now. There's over 3 billion of them are unreached people groups. Then there's what missiologists call UUPGs. UUPGs are unengaged unreached people groups, which means that there are literally no Christians, no churches, no Bibles, no missionaries, and do you know that there are close to 2 billion people that are in that category right now in the earth? 99% of money that goes to missions from the United States goes to places overseas where they have churches, pastors, Bible colleges, and so on. It does not go to unreached peoples. 99%.
A study was done and said that we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we give to missions to unreached people groups. Halloween costumes for our pets, not our kids, our pets. The heart of Jesus is that everyone would hear the gospel. I have had the privilege, I've been to many nations, many nations. I've been to Muslim nations, communist nations, Buddhist nations, Hindu nations. I've been to places where it's very difficult to preach the gospel. And I can tell you something, I've actually been among unreached peoples. I've been privileged to be able to preach the gospel to unreached peoples. And when people have, have experienced miracles and they've come to Jesus Christ, I actually had that experience when they came to me and said, why did it take so long for someone to come to us and share this story about Jesus? Where someone actually said that to me. You see, in the United States, there's over 250 unreached people groups. They immigrate here, they come as international students, they come as refugees, and God brings them to us because we wouldn't be able to go to their nation and preach the gospel. They're unreached, they're here. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the ethnic groups of the world, then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. 2 Peter 3, 12 says that you should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What does that mean? You should be looking for, you should be anticipating the coming of the day of God. Come on now. But then it says hastening, which means to accelerate. Some translations say you should hurry it along. You should speed it up. How can you speed up the coming of the day of God? He says, you preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations, and then the end will come. Understand this. The early church believed what I'm sharing today. They believed that it was their mission to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's get it done. Let's do it. And Jesus is going to come back. That's what they believed. And they were motivated by that. But what has happened is we have actually, in the past few hundred years, we have turned the gospel into something that is institutional and denominational, and it's all about keeping the saints happy. You know, it's like we, if we be got to, we got to become, uh, we use the term, especially in the 90s, being seeker sensitive. In other words, we need to be consumer oriented. We need to be consumer-oriented. We need to make sure that we are pleasing our consumers, our customers. Let me tell you, sometimes when you preach the gospel, it doesn't please people. Right? When you preach the gospel, yeah, we're called to, we're called to comfort the afflicted, but we're also called to afflict the comfortable. And we need a fire. We need to be stirred. We need to be called to a place of accountability. When we're being comfortable and complacent, and God's saying, listen to me, Acts 1-8, take the gospel to all the nations of the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then we see the early church is effective in reaching Jerusalem and Judea, but they really hadn't done much more than that. Then guess what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So you invert that, Acts 1-8, then you invert that to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And then all of a sudden you see a persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. And it says that the saints are scattered, but the apostles stay in Jerusalem. The saints are scattered, and then that happens. We need that. We read that Philip goes to Samaria. He begins to preach Christ there, and then the gospel continues to go out into into the Roman Greco world. Initially to Gent to Jews, but then eventually to Gentiles. And one of the places was Antioch in Syria. And then God begins to raise up and, and develops an apostolic center where Paul is sent out. And Barnabas are sent out, and they begin to take the gospel to the unreached. But in the beginning, please note that the people of God were the ones that were ekbalo. They were the ones that were sent out. The apostles were the ones that were called to go to the nations. They were comfortable. They were entrenched. They were quite happy staying in Jerusalem. So God couldn't use them. 
because I don't know, maybe it was their 401k. They, they were, I don't know what it was that they said they didn't want to lose that, so we're going to stay here. But then eventually he says, well, I'm going to send out my people. That was always my plan anyway. So he sends out the members, the lay people, not the apostles, and they go out and they take the gospel throughout the Roman Greco world. And at that point, there's an explosion of the Holy Ghost all over the world, and the gospel is preached within 200 years, actually even by the end of the Apostle Paul's time where he's talking about going to Spain. The gospel is preached to the world, and it began with God's people, not with the apostles. The apostles eventually left Jerusalem. We know that Thomas, for example, went to India, and he established the gospel in India. But it was the people. Here's what I'm saying this morning. God has called you to be an apostolic people. You know, apostles, oh, he's an apostle. Like, oh, man. Like, you know, it's like you got to have initiation. How many dead have you raised? And once you raise enough dead people, then you become an apostle. I mean, you know, that's not it. And apostolic means you're sent out. The apostolic church in the New Testament was a church that understood that it equipped people, it healed them, it brought freedom into their life, but it sent them out. You were... You are saved for a purpose. Listen to me. God wants to mend you of your ministry so he can move you, of your misery so he can move you into your ministry. He doesn't just mend you of your misery so you can go, oh, this is awesome. I'm free from addictions. I'm free from this. He has a purpose. He has a calling. He has a plan. He has a mission for you to engage in. He wants to mend you to send you. And so what we see in the Roman times let me just close with this. Apostle, the word apostle in the Greek language was a secular term. Jesus borrowed it from the Greeks initially, the word apostle. Here's what it means. An apostle in that day was someone who was kind of like an ambassador. And he was sent by the emperor, by Caesar, to represent and cultivate the culture of the empire, the Roman Empire, within a newly conquered province. So the Romans would go in and they would conquer territory. They take territory, they conquer. But then what they would do is they would send in someone who literally was known as an apostle. And that apostle was like an ambassador, and his job and his responsibility was to bring the values and the culture of Rome into that new territory so that the people eventually adopted the culture of Rome. They did it through a threefold process. Number one, invade. Number two, occupy. And number three, transform. Apostles and apostolic people invade, they occupy, and they transform. What does that mean? Jesus put it this way. He told his apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, as you go, preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? When you go into a city, when you go into a town, he said, you preach, you proclaim is what the word means. You herald that the kingdom of heaven is here. It's like you're, you're taking, you know, you're, you're putting a flag in, you're driving a stake in the ground, and you're saying this place, this space is his place, as, a, as above, so beneath. This belongs to God. These people belong to God. Listen to me, the devil doesn't hair, care about how much services we have and how, how uh, much we worship God so much as when we begin to move out and start taking territory from the enemy, that's when he gets worked up. That's when he becomes afraid. So we go in and we occupy. We take territory from the enemy. And then what do we do? I'm sorry, we invade and then we occupy. What does occupy mean? It means this. We teach people the values and the culture of God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what nation we were born in, what part of the country we're from regionally, and we all have our values and our culture, and they can be good values, and there can also be values that are not so good. But ultimately, we are all members and citizens of God's kingdom, amen? And so we need to begin to 
learn the values and the culture of God's kingdom. What is it that God has called us to? Jesus said, teach them everything that I've taught you. Basically, what I'm saying is people need to move from just becoming believers to disciples. And I told you I'm going to mention what that looks like, the new metrics in the kingdom, because the last thing is transformation. When you go to a place and you take territory, then you stay there long term and you begin to teach the people and you begin to impart the values of the kingdom. See, see, this apostle would go in and he would bring with him artisans and he would bring with him educators and he would bring with him philosophers and they would begin to teach the people the culture and the ways of Rome. You heard the saying, when you are in Rome, you do as what? as the Romans do. So that's where it all came from back in that time when Rome would take territory. They said, we expect you to embrace our culture. We expect you to become Roman. And the Jews, of course, they opposed this. But then transformation takes place when people begin to embrace the values of that culture and kingdom. Transformation takes place in your life, not by coming to church necessarily, not by even saying a prayer and asking Jesus into your life. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. And it's important to go to church. And it's important to read the Bible. But ultimately, remember in John chapter 8, there were people that Jesus was preaching a very strong message to. And then in verse 30, it says, even as he spoke these things, many believed in him. Then in verse 31, it says, To those who believed in him, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what he said. In the Greek language, here's what it means. You believe that's a good thing, but that's not enough. You need to become a disciple now. And how do you become a disciple? You continue in my word. You continue in my word. You grow in the knowledge of God. You grow spiritually. You continue to grow. In the Greek, it means this. And as you do, you will move into more and more freedom. As you continue in his word, it will release more and more freedom into your life until you are completely free. So the metrics of God's kingdom are not church attendance, how much is your tithe and offerings, the size of your building, even water baptism isn't necessarily an accurate measurement of kingdom discipleship because you can be baptized in water and remain the same. But see, the way that Jesus said is to be is people are to become more like Christ. Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the idea is this, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Are those people that are attending church becoming more like Christ? Are they walking like Jesus? 1 John 2, 6, if anyone says he abides in him, let him walk even as he himself walked. Are they doing the mighty works of Jesus Christ? John 14, 12 says, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works because I go to my Father. And are you equipping and releasing others into their ministry? Are you a disciple that is making disciples? Are you winning souls, but not just winning souls, are you discipling? them do you know if each one of us would win someone to Christ and we would spend a year discipling them in 32 years we would have over 8 billion people if we just one person discipled one person in the next year those two disciples discipled one person for a year in 32 years there would be over 8 billion people that were not only one to Christ but were actually discipled but if we win a hundred thousand people to Christ let's say a hundred thousand churches when literally thousands of people to Christ in a year, it's going to take us still thousands of years to, to reach the population. But if we move into discipleship, teach people, and then you pray, you, God gives you someone, and you pour your life into them, you teach them the word, you disciple them in less than 32 years. The metrics of the kingdom See, many churches are a mile wide and an inch deep. People are not becoming like Jesus. They've not been filled with the Spirit. They don't know. They're still addicted. They're still in bondage. They're tormented by guilt. They're tormented by shame. They're tormented by the things of the past. God wants to set people free. He came that you would know his goodness. He is not a God of the author of confusion. He did not give us a spirit of confusion. He is a God what who gives us what love, power, and a sound mind. 
God wants to set us free. He wants to liberate us. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to heal the sick. He wants to do miracles. This is normal Christianity when you read the book of Acts. You are called to be an apostolic people. You are called to invade, to occupy, and to see transformation. God is saying to us today, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you because I want to send you. Can I send you? Will you say yes? If not, God might have to ekbalo you. Will you then say yes? Even when he applies the pressure, even when he gives you a push, do you recognize that God might be pushing you in a new direction? Do you might be recognizing that God has been asking you to step out and do something that is different, to be bold, to overcome your timidity? He said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't be afraid. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of love and power and of sound mind. God wants to move us into a place of effectiveness for him. Can we just stand together? I want to pray for you. We're in a season when God isn't looking for an audience. He's looking for an army. God doesn't judge a church by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. We come here to be refreshed, to be encouraged, but then we go. The harvest fields, as we walk out those doors, there's people there that need Jesus. And you say, look, I'm still struggling. I'm still in bondage in my life or whatever. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you would make a fresh commitment to discipleship, that you're going to continue in the word. You're not just going to believe, but you're going to continue in the Lord of God. And as you do, it will release more and more freedom into your life, more and more freedom. And God can change you while he uses you. Don't think that you have to be perfect. Don't think that you have to have it all together. He'll use you even as you are moving forward, even as you are growing and maturing in the Lord. He will use you, and God will bring freedom into your life even as you minister to other people and share his love with them. May I pray for you this morning. May I pray for you this morning. Who is ready to be sent out in 2021? Who is ready to begin to rock this community with the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ? Who is ready to see change and transformation, to invade, to occupy, and to transform in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to be apostello? Are you ready to be ekbalo? <laughs> I take the apostello over the ekbalo. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, just raise your hands to the Lord, would you? And would you pray with me? Just repeat after me this morning. Say, Father, I commit my life to you. This is a new year. The first month, I want to start off on the right track. Lord, I want to be used by you. You've called me. And you've commissioned me. Send me, Lord, out into the harvest. And, Lord, anything that's holding me down, anything that's tying me down, I say in the name of Jesus, I break it off right now. Lord, separate me in, unto your calling and purpose. Separate me into that secret place, into that place of seeking your face of greater intimacy with you. And Lord, I ask you to use me to make a difference, to make disciples, to reach the lost, to heal the sick, to see the captive set free. I give you honor and glory. Now just ask the Holy Spirit to come afresh right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. Say, Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come right now. Come right now, Holy Spirit. Come right now, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in our lives. Anoint us with fresh oil. Anoint us with fire. Anoint us with power, Lord, to do your work. To do your work. Thank you, Lord, to do what you called us to do, Lord. You have received power to be witnesses unto me power, dunamis of the Holy Ghost to be witnesses unto Jesus, unto Jesus in Jerusalem, in LaBelle, in Judea, in your county, in your state, to the nation, to the nations of the world, and to the unreached people, 
to the unreached people, to the people that live here, that have never heard the gospel, that do not understand the way of salvation. I pray that this week that you would have encounters, that God would set up divine appointments, and he would use you to lead people back to the Father. He would use you to bring the backsliders home. He would use you to reach the poor, to reach those who are addicted in addicts, those who are lost, those who are blind, those who've never heard the name of Jesus in the truthful sense. They maybe know him as a religious figure, but they know him based on the traditions of man, but not on the truth of the gospel. I pray that this week God would use you. He would apostello you. He would send you out to make a difference. You are the answer to the world. Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory. You have the truth in you. You have the power in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me. We have that power. We have that anointing. We have that authority to be able to go forth. Holy Spirit, come right now. I pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up missionaries. I pray that you would send up people to the nations of the earth. I pray, Lord God, that you would do an amazing work out of this place, Father God, that this place would become a sending center, Lord God, not just a worship center, but a sending center, Father God, to send out, to equip your people, to be apostolic, to be going people, that they wouldn't just be growing people, but they would be going people, Lord. I declare in Jesus' name that as they grow, they would go, Lord God, and they would take the gospel in the fullness of your power, Lord Jesus, that you would break our hearts, Lord, with a passion for the lost, that you would give us such love, Lord, and such humility, Lord, that we would just show your glove. We would represent you to this world. We would show you well, Lord, for who you are, Father. We thank you for the commissioning. We thank you for this sending. We thank you for, Father, the authorization that you've given to us and the anointing that you placed upon us to do what you have called us to do, that this gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, that all the kingdoms of this world will be subjected to the kingdom of our God in the name of Jesus Christ. This gospel of the kingdom, of the king's dominion, that he is king of king and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow to the name of Jesus Christ, and every tongue will confess in the name of Jesus. This gospel of the kingdom would go forward to all the nations, to all the ethnic groups of the earth, Lord. And then the end will come. Jesus is coming back. The kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Christ and of God. It says in Revelation 11. What a powerful truth. Let's go. Let's invade. Let's occupy. And let's transform. You're called to be an apostolic people. The Father is commissioned and sent you. Now just go in obedience in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a clap, please. Come on, give him another clap.